Making It Personal with Bishop William Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com. Welcome to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. I'm Kelly Mitchell Collins with the Diocese of Des Moines. And today's show, we're visiting with Joe Stopulis, host of Man Up, another program here on Iowa Catholic Radio. We're here to talk about the Eucharistic revival. But before we get to today's interview, let's find out what's on Bishop's mind. Hello, Kelly. Here we Morning. are in February. And so we're getting through the gloomy days, but right. uh, God's been kind to us as well. So appreciated being with the good people at St. Peter and Council of Bluffs last week and St. Patrick Audubon for the Sacrament of Confirmation. And then we kind of go dark for a while during the the season of Lent, you know, trying to allow the, the renewal of the Easter sacraments and initiation to happen, and so kind of entering into that desert with Christ, as you will. Tonight, though, a little kind of a, a personal interlude. Uh, my nephew Max is going to be Johnny Casino in the Regina Catholic School production of Greece, so kind of that <laughs> a long time. So we'll duck over there and support the home team, if you will. Before heading back to uh, Council Bluffs uh, St. Patrick's tomorrow morning, we have the rite of election. So those who are to be newly initiated, catechumens, who are looking to uh, deepen their own connection with Jesus in the church, obviously baptism, confirmation, and the Eucharist, which we'll be reflecting upon, and then back to uh, St. Francis of Assisi on, on Sunday afternoon. So these are kind of um, pivotal benchmarks in the life of people and life of the parish that uh, we think about revitalization that uh, populate in the body of Christ in a very beautiful way. Uh, we think about the whole Lenten journey and the way in which we're to go out of ourselves to uh, not to, as we're counseled by the Ash Wednesday Gospel, to go to our private space, to close our door, to pray to our Heavenly Father in private. But Pope Francis also reminds us that our mission as members of the church is to make an exodus out of ourselves, to proceed up and down the road of life and the various challenges that might hear, not stuck or paralyzed by fear, but fixing our eyes on the sun so that those hazards of frustration and futility that can submerge our, our hope that we again ascend with Jesus, not only to the Mount of Transfiguration, but go with him to Calvary, where the friends of Jesus and his cross will ultimately shine in glory. So how much we need uh, food for the, the way and that pilgrimage that we're all making in our respective lives, our households and family. We think about where we are and just kind of taking stock of where Eucharistic faith, and this is kind of a prelude to our time with Joe this morning. If you think about the world's largest Catholic countries, and this research that has been done, you know, we think about Brazil, Mexico, the Philippines, and the United States, Italy, Congo, which we mentioned in a previous show, Colombia, Poland, France, and Spain. So the United States, number four, was 67 million. But if we begin to think about who's really living Eucharistic faith in this way, who's participating in their local parishes at Mass, it changes things and really kind of creates a, a kind of African accent in, in what we're about. So uh, the way in which then the Philippines, Mexico, Congo, Nigeria, Uganda take precedence United States, where the in-person mass attendance, a rate of 17%, translates into 11.4 million practicing Catholics on any given weekend. So uh, not as glowing, you know, pointing out the real need for renewal in our, in our country and the ways in which then we, we need to be uh, present ever more. We think about Germany, you know, uh, the historically Catholic, 22.1 million Catholics, but a weekly mass attendance rate of 14%, so only 3.1 million practicing German Catholics, whereas Nigeria has 10 times that total. So, you know, we think about the synodal process, which continues. We've had the continental phase, uh, North America, Canada, and the United States engaging, and uh, the run-up to the uh, synod that will take place this fall. We hope that the voices of the church, that we not only, as Pope John Paul has said, breathe with both lungs, east and west, thinking about 
about our uh, Orthodox, Ukrainian, uh, Russian, and other churches that are there, but how the African church is, is such a vital organ for us, and their instinct of faith should claim us, and how that Eucharistic uh, uh, boldness that they have should stir us in order to slip beyond ourselves in a very powerful and beautiful way. And so we're enlivened and inspired by those who would make communion with us, who would make their first Holy Communion, uh, just as I was by the little girl who, uh, with her mom, not uncommon for priests to recognize this, uh, kind of holding in her arms, grasping to reach into the ciborium and, and pluck out a host. You know, that holy desire is not to, to remain unrequited, but that that is in us. The Spirit longs for that communion. And so to bless that and to allow ourselves to fulfill which is most deep in us, our living Eucharistic faith. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we'll visit with Joe Stopulis. You're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio provided by Mercy College of Health Sciences, where you can chart your course for more. Mercy College provides unparalleled clinical rotations, hands-on learning, accelerated education, and flexible schedules. Since 1899, Mercy College has been transforming students into healthcare professionals. Guided by Catholic values, our faculty put classroom theory into practice. Students are prepared for roles in service and leadership throughout their own careers. Learn more at mchs.edu. Mercy College of Health Sciences. mchs.edu. The Catholic Morning Show. Deacon Randy Keel, you say that we desire change, but desire isn't enough. Change is not easy. Change even stirs some level of anxiety inside of us. Part of our mind that has our defense mechanisms, it will talk us out of change. If we make the plan for our personal interior change after the decision, we will find the plan is able to be accomplished far more than if we make the plan first before the decision. The Catholic Morning Show, weekdays at 7, only on the Iowa Catholic Radio Network. Welcome back to Making It Personal. Bishop Johnson, our guest today is Joe Stopulis, host of another Iowa Catholic radio program called Man Up. On today's show, we're talking about the National Eucharistic Revival, what it entails, and the efforts being made both locally and nationally. Joe, good morning. Good to have you here. And uh, welcome. We're doing something kind of unique here because this is going to bounce back and forth. Yeah. Like, who's the host here? In yeah, this so it's, uh, <laughs> it's a good question that we were kind of talking about the head of the show, and we don't know yet. So our listeners will find out here soon. Who yeah, so the Holy Spirit's going to have to sort this one out. I, I, I shot you a notice. Let's get together and like we'll figure it out on the, on the air. Yeah, yeah, so we maximize the value here, which you're always, you're always about, Joe, in so many ways, but uh, bringing your passion and zeal. And so beautiful to have you. And about the Eucharist and mm-hmm. National Eucharistic Revival. And so your understanding of it as a, a layman, what we're doing, and maybe I'll chime in. Yeah. So, I mean, I, the reason I, I reached out to you on this is I've, we've obviously heard a lot more about this. I think if, you've, if, you've, if you follow Catholic media at all, obviously if you follow the, the Catholic registers and the mirror and things like that, you're hearing more and more about this. And my question to you is, and obviously you've got, we got your audience, my audience, it's what do we, what, where, where did this come from, right? So if you're not in the trenches of the USCCB, you might not understand the genesis or how something like this comes about. So could you give us a little background as to how something like this comes about and why? Well, I think, you know, we look at uh, all the cultural upheaval that we've dealt with, the plural pandemic in there as well. But uh, studies such as the Pew Research Study, which has been often cited in this way, posing questions, what do Catholics themselves believe that they are about when they celebrate the Eucharist? What is it that we're worshiping and adoring? Is it really worthy? Is it Jesus himself? And unfortunately, the numbers were a little dismaying there that uh, Catholics themselves, you know, would not necessarily say that Jesus is truly present, body, blood, soul, and divinity in this way. So obviously uh, a need to evangelize our own people and bring them into the fold. Uh, there was some question about whether that Pew study actually 
uh, posed questions in a way that garnered, garnered accurate information. So another one was commissioned, and uh, unfortunately also kind of brought this uh, true, sorry, truth home. So the, the great mystery and the riches that Jesus has entrusted to us, and so how can we activate this faith? How can we evangelize? And, you know, we know the uh, U.S. bishops composed a document a couple of years ago, The Mystery of the Eucharist and the Life of the Church, which I think is a profound resource, not a weighty tome, but very pastoral. But how, in a real way, bringing this home to people, uh, people who are maybe not seeing themselves as landing within the church, how are we connecting with them, opening up the, the skylight of this tremendous mystery every time we come, the miracle, which is the Eucharist being celebrated. Yeah, I think... It's obviously the source and summit of our lives as Catholics. And when you go back to John 6, when you read John 6 with any sort of, when you're chewing on it at all, you realize that the disciples left. I mean, a lot of them did, right? He just fed the 5,000. He then says, you must eat my body and drink my blood. And and people leave, and then even the disciples question it, right? And Peter, speaking for the church, says that, you know, this is a hard teaching. But where else are we supposed to go, right? Where else can we go? And I think when you, from the beginning, from the beginning, the church has struggled with this, right? So this isn't new in 2023 for us to have within the Catholic Church, not just outsiders saying, you guys are crazy, what are you doing? Which clearly happened at the beginning, but even within the church, it was a tough teaching. So I, I, mean, I don't think we should be surprised. And yet, what did the early Christians first do? They came together, the breaking the bread, doing this in memory of the risen one who had appeared to them, and so allowing him to be present. We think about the Didache, other documents that are trying to capture this. Uh, yeah, the form has been toned up, if you will, and there's been some unfolding understanding there. But this mystery that was present, it was a way of encountering the risen Christ uh, ever from the from the initial days, the initial moments of, of this new era when God creates the church. But even within the, even within the church, right? So I think I got some quotes from the early church I can maybe share later. But the idea that throughout the church's history of 2,000 years, we've had this struggle between, even within the church, of people saying, no, it's, it's a merely a symbol or it's not, you know, it's just a representation. And we see council after council that's had to stand up and, and reaffirm the true presence of Jesus in, in the Eucharist. And so like... Th- to be surprised that a Pew Research Center is saying this, we, we shouldn't be surprised, right? But it's enough that the bishop said, no, we, we, this is, you know, let's take a pause and let's, let's do this. So what is it going like, to, how does this work? Just to weigh yeah, in there, on. if you will, in that, you know, that as we come to understand the person of Jesus and all these councils that were saying, who is Jesus, you know, you know, and Arianism and everything else, there's a, a, a human tendency to reduce things to make ourselves the measure of the mystery, in, if you will. And so... Uh, we shouldn't be surprised that the, the struggle on the Eucharistic level follows, you know, but uh, as, as uh, people who see the uh, one table of the Word and the sacrament, you know, to, to be Bible Christians as we are as Catholics, but not solely that, but how this unfolds there. So, you know, yes, I think we need the Spirit's guiding guidance leading us to the truth, the truth of who Jesus is, the truth of who he is, present, abiding with us, remaining in the in the church uh, through the, the mystery of the sacrament. And so what does it look like then from... Uh from the I mean, obviously it looks like it's more diocesan level. I mean, so there's a national level, right? To so the USCCB, and this is not international, right? This is just the U.S. conference, I believe, doing this. Well, it is an initiative in the United States, but yeah. obviously, you know, yeah, we yeah. are part of a universal church, yeah. and so things like even you know World Youth Day in Lisbon this summer, you know, different yeah. moments and, and things that we're about. But no, this is a specifically initiative of the of the pastors and shepherds in the United okay. States. So, but each diocese has its own thing they can right. do. Right. So it's or? kind of plotted in a kind of threefold way, in which there was the uh, kind of diocesan level initiatives that's continuing this year. 
year. We're going you know, to start the Feast of Corporate Christy last year. And so looking at that larger level of the, of the local church and so the ways in which then we continue to, to hold up, to focus on the truth, the catechesis and apologetics, the reason we believe in the real presence of beauty, the, the, the way in which the liturgy should lift us up and awaken our senses and draw us out of ourselves, and then the goodness which will follow from that. So we're going to be transitioning, you know, through this uh, year, Corpus Christi in the in June, uh, to the parish renewals that are there. And so we think about Eucharistic missionaries who have been commissioned. We've had uh, Father Samuel Hakim here recently on the show, uh, who are sent out as kind of particular apostles, if you will preaching and bearing this news in this kind of itinerant way, uh, but touching and connecting with people on the local level, as we've experienced here, receiving a, a couple of them as well. But uh, obviously we want all of our priests to be on fire for the Eucharist, and so the parish level and the lay people who maybe in a particular way are charged not simply as Eucharistic ministers or other things, but to be you know at the forefront, uh, their own Eucharistic faith, adoring and, and sharing and communicating good news to other people. And then to carry over the following year to really have the sense of being charged, you know, with the, the, the signature event, which is going to take place in, in July 2024, the great Eucharistic revival at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis. Uh, you already answered my question. There it is. All, All right. right. In so July of 2024 in Indianapolis is the big Eucharistic Yeah, Eucharist and, you know, I mean, obviously that that arena can hold maybe 70,000, 80,000 people. They're making provision because they're expecting... I, I've watched the, Iowa the lose a football game in that exact arena. Well, Michigan hopefully State, this will heal those traumatic... <laughs> this will heal these traumatic memories. The Eucharist is a, a bomb and medicine for, uh, for all those worldly... It was a play drive. <laughs> so, it was okay, hard to... Pull out, Joe. Pull out, Joe. <laughs> yeah, come back, come back. <laughs> yeah, you get me starting thinking about the collapse of the Cyclones against Texas Tech, a 23-point lead in <laughs> 12 minutes. Lab. But anyway, Kelly, Kelly, get us back on focus. <laughs> it's so, going to be a National Eucharistic Congregation. It's going to be a Lucas Oil Stadium. And we think of, you know, how that ground has July been consecrated as well by the National Catholic Youth Conference, which yeah. will also take place this November, you know, every two years, you know. So that's a place where our Lord has been adored, uh, mercy has been dispensed. And so, yeah, there'll be provision for that. And hopefully it's uh, not just, you know, the kind of shock troops are already there, but it'll bring some others into the fold who maybe haven't had an experience of, of the Eucharist that uh, has really drawn them out. Which maybe leads me to kind of think about, Joe, you know, just as we talk about making it personal, yeah. um, how has this been something in your life that has either waxed and waned or, you know, how you've come to, to see this as so vital that you've yeah. got a radio show yeah, that you're no, focusing that's, on? That's this. a great question. I think and I'm, I'm always curious on people's thoughts on this because it is, I mean, it, it it's the linchpin of our faith, right? It's interesting we're having this conversation today because last night I had a conversation with a friend of mine who I did not know. I've known this guy for 10 years. And I did not know he was Methodist previously. I said, oh my gosh, what brought you into the church? He said, well, I, I didn't realize that as Methodists, we didn't believe in the true presence. I go, what do you mean? He goes, I had no idea. I just assumed we believed it. And so when I asked my pastor, he goes, oh, no, no, we believe it's a symbol. He goes, okay, I think I'm out. <laughs> it's like, right? And I think there's some level of, we as Catholics in today's world, we need to more than ever, need to look different than the culture. We need to. The culture is is clearly um, heading the wrong direction. And so the more we can be steadfast, steadfast in our faith and look different and feel different, the more it's going to be attractive to people. Understand that we, as the winds are blowing and the, the you know everything's heading this direction, but the Catholic Church is, is staying the course, and especially on this most important tenet. So in my own life, no, I, I would, I as a cradle Catholic, right, I think there's a lot of things that I look at my... Um, my brothers and sisters who have come in at a later uh, later time in their life, like, oh, man, I wish I had some of that. Because for me, 
you know, you have a child's faith growing up, and then you at some point you have to turn that into an adult faith. And I think for me, the Eucharist has always been one where I've said, Lord, I, I pray it still today, Lord, help me to fully understand what's going on here. Understanding that I don't think I'll ever fully understand it, but I, I want to get close. And I think as an adult Catholic, you have to look up research. I, I gave a, uh, I, a men's talk I gave once. I said, you know, if you... If you haven't studied the Eucharist in second grade when you receive First Communion, you have a second grade understanding of the Eucharist, right? And so it's incumbent upon us to to do that. So I, I always talk as men. As men, it's incumbent upon us as the leaders of the family, leaders of the faith. We need to do research on this. We need to go out. We need to study. We need to to wrestle with these 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 issues. And so with the Eucharist specifically for me, uh, an enormous – I talk about Bishop Barron. I talk about John Ricardo ad nauseum. Um, but Bishop Barron was huge for me, and I think – you know, one of the the visualizations he gives, he talks about, you know, we have descriptive words. You know, I can describe to you what this building feels like. I can describe to you the weather. But we also have proscriptive words. And he goes, you know, in the, you think of a baseball game. You're down in, you know, Bush Stadium or you're, to your listeners, you're all talking about Nebraska, the Memorial Stadium, right? And in a, in a, in a, if a ref <laughs> Or the says, College World Series. Yeah, the yeah. College World Series. Rosenblatt, right? yeah. We'll, we'll use that. I've been there before, so I can do that <laughs> once, right? If they say, if, if the umpire, we'll use the baseball analogy, if the umpire says... You know, if I say, "Oh gosh, he's you know, that was a, he's he's safe from the stands," it means nothing. But if the umpire says he's out, the umpire has the power to change the game. The umpire calls a strike when I thought it was a ball. Well, my what I think doesn't matter. What matters is the guy who has the proscriptive language can say it's a ball or a strike or it's out. Similar, he he used another example of the uh, you know a cop. If I go up to you today and say, "Bishop Jones, you're under arrest," it means nothing because I don't. But if Officer Egan comes in here, if an actual uniformed officer of Des Moines comes in and says, you're under arrest, well, he has the power, proscriptive language. And that was really powerful to me to understand that the priest has the power, the proscriptive language with which to turn bread into the body of Christ. And that was that was huge. So, I, I, But that's a small little example of I had to understand as an adult, it's time for me to own the faith, and I had to go out of my comfort zone and to to read to watch and we are so we have so many resources it's almost too much and we we talked before the show about Jeff Cavins Jeff Cavins 15 years ago was one of the handful of choices you have well now it's almost too much there's so many resources that we have to learn about all these various things it's almost over you know it's almost overload so i, I my my advice to people is find find the person who speaks to you if it's father mike schmitz if it's bishop baron whoever it is it, or, and I'll, I'll turn to you for this question, there's probably some headier resources out there that I that I probably haven't explored yet that can give us even a deeper uh, exploration of the Eucharist and its meaning. So I'll turn it over to you. What resources? Well, let's, let's start at the grassroots level, though. And we think about the things that the diocese has really put together, Diocese of Des Moines, you know, to build upon some of these other things that you've mentioned, you know. But uh, even in this past year, the kind of My Why videos, mm-hmm. which are testimonies and witness being given, from students at St. Anthony and Sacred Heart, Sacred Heart Sheraton, Shelby County Catholic School, but various parishioners, various ages, you know, just what does this mean to them? And so I think, you know, the word being heard, you know, I think we can come at this to the intellectual, the unpacking of Scripture and other pieces that are there. I think Pope Emeritus Benedict has so many beautiful uh, reflections on the Eucharist. I find him, you know, is kind of timeless in the way his books on the Eucharist have, have really spoken and his homilies that point to this mystery in a different way. But now also another additional resource that has just really kind of been posted for us, whymass.org. So capital W-H-Y and then capital M-A-S dot org. 
And it's a series of five videos that uh, uh, have been produced through the good graces of John Gaffney, Tom and Christy Quinlan, and Kelly Franzen, who's the uh, video production whiz, and obviously Anne-Marie Cox in our communications. The, our common uh, friend and colleague, John Leonetti, is the narrator for it. Oh, but no, pithy and potent videos of about four, uh, four minutes long. There's five of them, but I'd encourage people not to binge watch these things, but to watch them and take the reflection questions. Lent, you know, is a great time for us to kind of unfold, maybe in the presence of him, in the presence mm-hmm. of the Blessed Sacrament. Let him speak to you. These videos I would put out there at a national level. I'm going to tell Bishop Andrew Cousins, who's overseeing the, U- the Eucharistic Revival for the U.S. bishops, hey, these are community property. Please use them, if you will. You right. know, so, but, I, you know. You think about Thomas Aquinas, his reflections on the mystery, you know, uh, Benedict XVI, Sacramentum Caritatis, which is another rich resource and things. So you, we can we can strike this at the you know, at the, the level of our minds, which is vital because we've got plenty to chew on here. It never can be exhausted, this mystery. And I think for me, when I another major turning point for me was those church fathers. I'm not going to time to get into all the quotes of them, but you, when you read the church fathers, it is black and white. There's no gray area here. These are the guys who either knew Jesus or knew a person who knew Jesus, and they're they're right there. And there's there's no him and Han at what this is. And people went to death for cannibalism for a reason. And they they could have easily said, no, no, it's just a symbol, it's just a symbol. But they didn't. They died. And th- that the those experiences of those early church fathers, especially the people who got martyred for the faith early on, man. How powerful is that? That witness to me was also extraordinarily powerful. But to your point, we have resources from you know four minute videos to tomes of, of you know literature to read on this. And I, I my encouragement is always, especially as obviously it's important to the USCCB, just go out. Let's do it. Let's take initiative in our own lives because it's incumbent upon us as Catholics to know this stuff and to, and to and to and to struggle with. I mean, it is a struggle, especially at you know early church. But we have the we are so blessed in twenty twenty three have all these resources to help us. All right. We're going to take a quick break. You're listening to Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson on Iowa Catholic Radio and the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio is provided by the Sarah Vocations Ministry, including the St. Sarah Club of Des Moines and the Sarah Club of Council Bluffs. Sarah is an apostolate of the Worldwide Catholic Church dedicated to fostering and supporting priesthood and religious vocations. Sarans strive to accomplish their mission through prayer, fellowship, and service to the bishop priests, sisters, and all in religious formation, and in doing so to increase their own holiness. Learn more at joinsara.org, joinserra.org. Thank you, Sarans, for your support of Iowa Catholic Radio. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio provided by Knights of Columbus Borman and Pfeiffer Agencies, serving the Catholic families in Iowa. The Knights of Columbus is a fraternal benefit society providing financial security to members and their families, specializing in life insurance, long-term care insurance, disability income insurance, and retirement annuities. And you can reach Knights of Columbus Field Agent Rob Ryan at 563-689-6801. That's 563-689-6801. Thank you and God bless. Welcome back. We are back with Joe Stopulus, host of another Iowa Catholic Radio program, Man Up, and we're talking about the National Eucharistic Revival. So we kind of have a man up making a personal doubleheader here double going on. Yeah, people getting the full enchilada here, <laughs> so uh, doing that. But, you know, I think all the way in which the mystery is unfolded for us, 
but you know, it's that experience and a particular grace for me. I, I confess, I do not remember my first Holy Communion. It's really sad to say that. I don't remember that as a magic moment, you know, and I think I received individually, Student Center Parish, St. Thomas Aquinas and Ames. But even with all the kind of liturgical experimentation going on, this thing kind of broke through that it's, he's really here. He's really here. This is the most real thing in the universe. And it's been a particular grace for me in different ways, even I, though I wasn't always feeling it in that lively way. You know, at a particular point when I was in Iowa City, again, the Eucharist just kind of activated that he is here and that whatever the challenges I was facing, the turmoil and things of vocational discernment, that was the magnet drawing me. And so that was a particular grace that, uh, yeah, I mean, this is the center of the universe upon which everything else revolves. So and then, you know, the, the intellectual and the, the mature development for me. But Joe, you, well, you, I think, you were talking well, about other well, those, those ideas, I mean, I gave a talk on uh, Catherine Siena recently, and she, you know, every once in a while she had these she of all people would get these glimpses of heaven and then she'd just go off to her normal life. Right. And I think, you know, mother Teresa had obviously years without this, but there were tastes of it here and there. I think God gives us those you know little tastes every once in a while. Um, you know, I had mentioned, I kind of talked about these quotes and now we have an extra few minutes. I do want to hit on them. And then I want to talk about Eucharistic adoration real quick, but from Ignatius of Antioch, the unbeliever abstains from the Eucharist and from prayer because they do not confess that the Eucharist is the flesh of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, he was 100, right? So that's very early on. There's, again, no gray area there at all. And the Justin Martyr, not too far behind, you know, 160s, 170s probably. Not as, not as common bread or as common drink do we receive these. But since Jesus Christ, our Savior, was made incarnate by the Word of God, the food, which has been made into the Eucharist by the Eucharistic prayer, is both the flesh and the blood of the incarnate Jesus. So I look at those. Man, again, no gray area at all. They are... Those are fighting words, and they are going to stick with them. And so, to me, that I have so much faith. That helps build my faith when I hear that these great minds, these people who were either knew Jesus or were one generation, two generations away from him, were so confident in that. And so, when we're looking at revival of Eucharist, right? So, obviously, the Church Fathers, a lot of the resources we talked about. For me, making, and I, it's probably been four or five years now where I've done weekly, um, weekly adoration. So, I have a spot, a certain time during the week. And that has made an enormous difference in my life. And I, I, I can't encourage my listeners, your, your listeners enough, to find time regularly to get in front of Jesus uh, in the Blessed Sacrament in adoration. They're, you know, obviously in Des Moines, I'm sure, uh, it, throughout the diocese, you can find places. Our priests have been so good about creating those additional opportunities. Way more so than years. 10 years ago. Yeah. Way more so than 10 years ago, right? And I think you, you see these opportunities to do that because they understand the importance of it. And it has been, it's been life-changing for me uh, and my wife. And, my, and we bring our kids there, too. Um, it's a great evangelization tool for our, for our kids to see us there. And, you know, well, we bring the... The 10, the 8, and the 6-year-old often, we won't bring anyone younger than that. Uh, we can keep the young ones at home uh, because peace and quiet is an important thing. Very prudent. Of you. Very <laughs> discerning. But it's really, you know, it's a, great, it's a great opportunity. And you know what? If you don't have an hour, you can find I, one of the greatest things for me during my hour I'm there is to watch people come in for five minutes. Like they clearly right. went out of their way at least a little bit. Right. They came in for just five minutes. The holy custom of making a visit. Just come in, you know, right? Just stop in. And give you what he needs and however long yeah. you have. Because you can just, God, God, I wish I had three hours. I don't. I've got five minutes. Mm-hmm. And I think the more you do that, the more you approach Jesus in the sacrament, he'll give you the graces. But there is, you know, it's a day you've got to have, you've got to go out in faith, right? I mean, you have to make the effort uh, in some capacity. 
Uh, and I think that's, you know, adoration, what a wonderful way for us to do that. Yeah. So, again, and coupled with the Eucharistic processions that uh, oh, yeah. parishes have, we sponsored one, we'll continue to do so. The Eucharistic Revival, it is an opportunity. There are still some parishes that haven't availed themselves of the two tickets. We want to have diverse representation in Indianapolis. But then the real mission continues of then having received the body of Christ to be the body of Christ, to go out on mission, which is the last pulse of this whole Eucharistic Revival evermore, to share bread with the hungry, shelter the oppressed, clothe the naked, all the things that in Matthew 25, you know, really, I think, uh, also gain people's attention. Joe, your passion, there's never enough time with you, you know. <laughs> you always leave us wanting more, but thank you for this. Thank you, Bishop. This has been another edition of Making It Personal with Bishop Johnson. Thank you to our guests and all of our listeners in Iowa Catholic Radio and the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. You can hear Making It Personal with Bishop William Johnson every week on Iowa Catholic Radio and iowacatholicradio.com. Support for Iowa Catholic Radio and Making It Personal is provided by Sarah Vocations Ministry. Learn more at joinserra.org.